Welcome to the Alpha Omnia Podcast. In this episode, I talk with Josh, who is a U.S. Army intelligence veteran and currently in the Chicago Police Department Academy. We talk about his journey into the Army, his tours in Korea and Afghanistan, and what life is like now as he's two months into his six-month training program with the CPD. Uh, I, I don't do this for fun. Dun, da, da, dun, da, da. We, we ain't playing with dun, da, da, dun, da, da. Heart, mind, body, and soul, I need your heart, mind, body, and soul. Heart, mind, body, and soul, I need your heart, mind, body, and soul. Now let's go. Let's go. Vibe with it, ride with it, let's go. Let's go. Vibe with it, ride with it, let's go. Get chicken, vibe with it, let's go. Let's go. Now let's go. Let's go. Someone bless me, I got the holy water. Feel it through your body, your medulla, I've been got it. Baby, feel the bounce, I got it from my mama. Haven't had a military veteran like yourself uh, come on the show yet. And John said that you uh, you have quite the resume and experience. So, you know, that's, I, that's, that's nice of him to say. I'm glad, I'm glad I get to be the first. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he actually recommended you over himself too. <laughs> so, oh, man. yeah. So, um, dude, I appreciate it. Appreciate it, you know, and then I don't want to take, you know, I know it's a Saturday. I'm, open to talking as long as you want but if you got other things going on man you know we can uh cut it short but basically i i really would just want to start it out from the very beginning man like what made you decide you wanted to you know serve the country um i mean honestly i i started off by just wanting a a real big drastic change in my life i from the time i was in high school i really took a big liking to cooking actually uh, and then all of a sudden, I, you know, I started doing these uh, cooking competitions and stuff, different teams, uh, started going to the local tech campus uh, up in uh, northern part of Chicago area. And I decided that I wanted to go to culinary school. Um, I loved it. I loved every single part of it. And then, you know, I, I got out into the world. I started working in a couple different restaurants, um, went to school in New York, worked in restaurants in Hawaii, worked in restaurants in Chicago um, and the suburbs. And after a while, I just kind of realized that it was the absolute, you know, it was fun. I loved it, but I was burning out. I was working, you know, 80, 90, 100 hours a week for, you know, not much. And I wasn't really, I wasn't really getting much out of it. Um, and I, I noticed that throughout my life, I've kind of always liked the idea of somehow helping out other people, either, you know, in a local public service or, you know, even back in the day when I was in college, I was a volunteer firefighter and EMT. And there was something about that that I really liked being able to, you know, go, if someone needs you, go and help them. Um, I was trying to think of different ways to be able to do that. And then for some, for some reason, I was watching TV one day and I saw an ad for the Army and all their tricky advertising got to me somehow. And I decided, hey, you know what, let me go talk to these guys and see where I'm going. And I went to the recruiter's office and it was a real, you know, it, it was a real easy conversation. I was just trying to get a little bit of information. And the more he talked to me, for you know, for some reason or another, I, I just kind of liked it. And if anyone, if anyone would have talked to me in high school and said, you know, hey, you're going to join the army, you're going to go do this and that, I would have laughed in their face. I would have had no idea. I would have, I would have completely dismissed them right away. But before I knew it, I was about 23, 24 years old, and I decided to join. And I uh, was shipping off to go to basic training. Where'd you go for uh, basic training? Uh, started off in. Uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. It was a really fun day. It was, I started off in January and I didn't know much about Oklahoma, but I remember looking up the weather conditions and I'm like, oh, it's not so bad. You know, it's got kind of mild climate. Uh, we got there and I think the first day we were there in shorts and a t-shirt, 
uh, doing push-ups in about a foot of snow for the first six hours. So that was a really cool uh, first experience. Wait, push-ups for but, six hours in the snow? Yeah, push-ups, push-up, sit-ups, running around, getting stuff thrown at you, yelled at. Everything you see in the movies only in, in a foot of snow. So it was pretty fun. It was a great way to get frostbite in my first three hours. Damn, I can only imagine. I mean, I'm cold as hell, like just 20 minutes in the snow, let alone rolling around <laughs> in it. Yeah. And don't forget, with the the Army's best T-shirts and shorts as well. Oh, are, are they not the best of quality? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, they're great. But, you know, it, it's funny. You know, you might watch TV and, you know, hopefully I could debunk some myths talking here. You watch TV. These guys have, you know, all this cool gear. And absolutely, in the Army, you have cool gear. Um, but the one part, you know, the one part about TV that's true is, you know, back to Full Metal, you know, back in the movie Full Metal Jacket. I mean, that's how it was back in the day, but, you know, in no, in no way, shape or form do they do that today. They don't, you know, they're, they're not going to hit you. They're not going to do anything physically abusive to you, but, you know, they're definitely going to get in your face. They're definitely going to scream and yell at you. And, you know, within my life, I, I had an upper hand because I joined the army when I was 23. I worked in kitchens and restaurants and, you know, the kitchens I worked in were just like uh, Gordon Ramsay and health kitchen. They were screaming and yelling all day. So I was okay with the screaming and yelling. Um, but some people, you know, it, it, it affects everybody differently. You saw some people breaking down into tears just because they were being yelled at. And I guess that's what really separates, you know, the men from the boys, the, you know, the girls from the women. That's what kind of, that's what really makes or breaks you. But they get it, they get it in your head real quick. And I mean, basic training, looking back on it, it was absolutely insane, but it was probably, probably some of the most two fun months I had in the army because it, it it's easy. You, you, show, you know, you're there. You go every day. They tell you to run around. You, you run. You jump. You shoot. You pretty much learn all the, all the most basic skills. Um, but it's you know, it's one of those crazy experiences. And then once you're done with that, everyone gets separated off into their individual skills. Uh, my particular job, I was a 35 Fox, which is an all-source intelligence analyst. And that was you know, when I first signed up at the recruiter's office, they were like, well, what do you want to do? I said, I, I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. I just kind of want to jump into this. And they started talking about, you know, my history and stuff. And, you know, they offered me different jobs from all the way from, you know, a cook because of my cooking experience to medical jobs because of my medical experience that I had. And, I, you know, I kind of dismissed them. I said, I really want to do something very different. Um, I want to do something that's maybe a little bit higher end on the professional end of the spectrum versus the combat end of the spectrum. And, you know, he recommended intelligence. And I didn't really know what it was like. And, you know, of course, a lot of recruiters will tell people, oh, you're going to be the next Jack Ryan or James Bond. And, you know, of course, you know, that's a myth. But you're definitely doing you're definitely doing some of the work uh, that would lead people like that to go into those situations. And that's what I found really cool. Um, I, you know, and then they have a uh, intelligence training center at Florida, Arizona. And that's where I went to do uh, all that training for the next six months, which once again, you know, it was a six month intense training program, but you know, I really, I enjoyed it. It, it was, it was a little nuts, but it was cool. Yeah. Um, taking one step back, did you prepare yeah. at all for boot camp, or is it something that you were kind of like you signed up and they're like in a couple of weeks you're going? Uh, was there like any type of preparation on your part? Yeah, I, it's funny you ask because I was, I was definitely not the uh, ideal picture of someone to be. Uh, you know, physically fit to go into the army. Uh, like I said, before the army, I was, you know, working in restaurants and bars and, you know, my, my old lifestyle was pretty much 
on a Wednesday or Thursday night, if I was hungry, hey, I'm going to order a full large pizza and, you know, a six-pack of beer, and I'll have no problem killing it all by myself. And then I decided to do this, and I walked into the recruiter's office at something around 230 pounds, and, you know, I'm not a big guy. I'm only, like, 5'10 on a good day and 230 (laughs) pounds. I I, I wasn't the perfect, you know, be-all-you-could-be fitness type. Um, but I decided, you know, like I said, I wanted to make a drastic change, both physical, mental, and lifestyle. And I just went for it. And I went to the gym. I remember for the first time I went to export in Skokie and I jumped on the treadmill and I said, I'm going to just put it up on a jog and I'm going to see how far I could go. And I think I got about a tenth of a mile and I jumped off and I felt like I was absolutely going to have a heart attack. And that was like a real wake up call for me because I realized how extremely unhealthy I've been. And in high school, I was pretty, I mean, I was pretty, I wasn't, I didn't have a six pack or anything, but I, you know, I was on, I was on the swim team. I played water polo. I snowboarded regularly. I did a lot of fun outdoor activities, um, but just not in any sort of good cardio shape. And I was, I was a big boy, but I remember I kept going back to that gym and I think my first mile time that I was able to actually run an entire mile without stopping was something like 18 minutes to run a single mile. And then, you know, now, now if I want to run my two mile test, I think I can do it in, you know, just about 13 minutes. So quite a difference from then. And that was my preparation. A lot of people have to do mental preparations to join the army. Me, it was all physical, just being able to even get to the point where I was even allowed into the army. Cause when I first decided to join, I was about 20 pounds too heavy to even be allowed in. Uh, and then eventually on that last day, they're like, all right, you're good. And there it was. How long did it take you to drop those 20 pounds? Uh, the first 20 pounds came off, um, fairly quick only because, um, you know, the more you weigh, the more it's easy to kind of drop those pounds quick. I want to say the first 20 pounds came off within the first three months or so. Um, but yeah, I'm two, I was 230 then I'm about 180 now. So 50 pound weight loss over the course of everything. Uh, it was, it was quite drastic. I remember coming home after uh, my first six months of basic training and my individual training and, you know, just going home and seeing family members and all they do is they go up to you and they touch your face and they feel they're like, Oh my God, where's the rest of you? I'm like, I don't know. And it's, it's probably it's, a good feeling never- though. It's like, I've been out oh, busting yeah. my ass for the last you know, a couple months and here I am. I mean, you were probably pumped to come home and see everyone, but also have everyone see you and your uh, improvements. So that's Absolutely. Great and that's, and, and that was one of my big goals in the army. And I, you know, and I did it and I wanted, like I said, I wanted to get myself healthier because, you know, I want, I want to live a long, happy life and, you know, physical health is something that, you know, now it's really important to me as I sit here on a Saturday on my couch and I just, you know, finish eating, you know, Aloha Grill and may or may not have had half a cupcake for breakfast. But <laughs> hey, you know, enjoying life, man. The, it's Saturday. It's it's yeah. cool. Exactly. And but that's why you go to the gym so you can eat cupcakes and beer. Yeah, that's true. Work hard during the week so you can uh you know, enjoy the little things in life <laughs> a little bit and not feel bad about it. But Absolutely, absolutely. So from my understanding, you joined the army, you wanted to serve, you wanted to help people, which I admire a lot. But also you kind of wanted this life change and life improvement for yourself as well. And you just saw the Army as the best road map for that, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I knew I knew that what with the Army, what they can give me because of the specific job that I chose, um, I chose a job with an intelligence. And I knew that that would open up a lot of doors for me. Um, 
I mean, I could talk later about like kind of what I did all on the job, but you know, even right now, I, you know, I got out of the army almost exactly a year ago, maybe a year and a month ago. And I got out and I really wanted to work for either some sort of local, federal, either law enforcement or intelligence agency. And, you know, after a while of applying for all these different jobs, I, you know, the, the application process is simply grueling. I mean, I went on at least, I would say for federal jobs alone, I probably went on 20 different interviews. And it's just, you go through all these interviews, you get to the very end, and then either one day they say, hey, we don't want you for this, or we don't want you for that. Or they simply, after 10 interviews, they simply don't call you. And it's absolutely discouraging. Um, But I kept going and I kept applying to some local law enforcement agencies. And, you know, same thing. I'll go on, you go on 5, 10, 15 interviews and you don't make the next step or you're not good enough. But I'm I'm very happy to say that I'm actually uh, about halfway through with the Chicago police training program. So about three or four months, I'll be a Chicago cop. Oh no, not kidding. <laughs> no, I'm a, I definitely want to get into know, that right? because I think um, the Chicago Police Department, they really have their work cut out for them. And uh, what they do is unbelievable because of all the events that's going on in Chicago, the violence that yeah. is occurring and all the people you just have to deal with. I, you know, towards the end of this podcast, I definitely want to get into that a little bit because I feel like this is the next phase in your life. And I think that's very interesting. And I um, truly do, uh, you know, everything that the police department does. I mean, all these events, there's so many tourists that come in. You have like Lollapalooza, Cubs games, Bears games, Blackhawks, Bulls, like nonstop. There's all these people always out and about. And honestly, like I rarely feel uh, around these big events. I'm not worried or concerned. I just know that like the Chicago police department, the law enforcement, you know, you all are doing a great job and, and it's you know, definitely appreciated. So I definitely want to get into that a little bit and, you know, just, just kind of your uh, outlook on that stuff. Yeah. I mean, and like, and like I said, it's, you know, I'm at a very interesting part in it all because, you know, it, it took me about, I was very lucky. It took, only took me about uh, 10 months to get into within Chicago PD. Um, but as I sit in class, I'm talking to a couple people and they've been trying to get in for four five, six years even. Um, but for, you know, and that's where the military actually helped me because um, CPD looks at things like military preference and, you know, they'll look at your background that you've done there. So they're able to kind of vet you a little quicker, but, you know, I'm only, like I said, I'm only about two, two and a half months through the training process. It's a six month training program. And even within the first two and a half months, my mind has totally shifted towards the way that I see the city of Chicago. I mean, I'm from, you know, I'm from the Chicagoland area. I've spent you know, countless, you know, nights out and weekends in the city. I've done the Lollapalooza, I've done everything. And, you know, that's my idea of Chicago. I'm very lucky. I'm very privileged. And I I absolutely understand where I come from that I can live, you know, I can live on the North side. I I can walk to Lincoln Park Zoo. I can do everything nice. Um, But as I, you know, as I look in these classes and I, I hear about what goes on every day in Chicago, you know, only five, six, seven miles south of me, it's like a, it's like a whole different country down there. You know, it's you're in the same city, but it's just a different life. There's you know, there's people getting um, shot, stabbed, everything every day, and it's something that I think about. And you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, would I like to work down there and actually go down there and try to help out, or do I want to, you know, work closer to my own community? And I'm not sure if I actually have a say in that. You know, they kind of, you know, just like the army, they'll kind of put you where they need you. Um, but it's something that definitely has opened my my eyes even more. And that's something that I personally liked, um, even when I worked in intelligence, you know, 
the rest of the world might not know something, but you knowing something gives you a little bit of a different perspective on things and how to approach life. And hopefully one day, I mean, it may sound cliche, but you just hope that you can maybe even change the life of somebody, just, you know, one person in your work. And, you know, you, you might, you might try to do something good a hundred times and 99 times it's going to fail and burn into pieces. But that one time is why you do it. That's why you kind of commit to it in the first place is to just try to help and, you know, this new journey that I'm on, I, don't, I have no idea where it's going. I mean, it's a crazy game out there, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and that's how I kind of feel with, um, you know, Alpha. I'm trying this lifestyle brand, Alpha Omnia, and it, it's opened my eyes. And I, like you said, it's opened your eyes to how you see the city. It's opened my eyes to how, like, people, you know, are making their ads, uh, their posts on Instagram, like their artwork, their creative, their articles, like everything, you know, I'm, I'm really realizing like, Oh, this is how you did this. This is how you put this together. This is probably your thought process through this, you know? And it's, uh, Absolutely. it does. It opens your mind. It's like the more experiences you have, the more aware you are of your surroundings. And, um, I do want to mention it really came full circle to me uh, how much the Chicago Police Department really does was after the Cubs won the World Series. Because once they won the World Series, yeah. the streets were wild. Everyone was out partying. Oh, yeah. It was crazy till the early morning. And then what was it? It was not even 48 hours later, we had the parade going on. And the streets, uh-huh. it was crazy. So many people. I, rem- I was out there. I was in the middle of Michigan Avenue. People were jumping off the telephone poles. Oh, not pe- oh. telephone poles. Off the light poles. They were climbing them, jumping out, like doing those free dives. You know, so stupid. Yeah, but which, really, which is which is which is always a good idea. Yeah, uh, yeah. With your <laughs> eyes closed. Oh yeah. Hopefully these strangers catch me. Like uh, I'm not yeah. trusting anyone. <laughs> but um. They- Hey, at least they have good faith in society. That's true. Good for them. They, <laughs> but when I'm uh, what are they, what are they? Forty, fifty feet high? I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. I don't have that much faith. Yeah. Um, no thanks. No. But I'm like, damn. All right. So you guys turn around, do this, and then that night we had um, the Bulls Knicks game at the United Center with Derrick Rose and Joe Kim Noah coming back. That was a sold out game, and that was a super quick turnaround. And I went to that game too. And I'm like, this entire time, you know, just in these huge groups of people, I'm like, damn, you know what? This The city did a pretty good job, and thanks to the police department. And I think there was another event that weekend, too. I just can't remember it right now. But it was just a super hectic, like, four or five days. I'm like, damn, these yeah. these people in blue, man, I, I don't know how they do it. They are probably overworked right now, exhausted. And it was a busy summer, too, you know. It was towards the end of the summer. It was, what, what, it was October, right? End of October? Yeah, and you still have all the other summer events. Yeah, winding down, just winding down. Up. Yeah, what's crazy and what's crazy about that? I remember, you know, I wasn't even in town when the Cubs won the World Series. I was in Afghanistan when the Cubs won the World Series, but I just remember even watching on the news how crazy it was. And you know, now I look at that and like you were mentioning all those crazy events that happened. And in the back of my mind, something that I would have never thought before is while all those crazy events are happening, you know, Michigan Avenue North Side there's still your everyday gang or going on on the South side that it, it's concurrent. It doesn't, it doesn't get put on hold because of all the events. There's still people out there, um, you know, and, and that's, and that's what, and that's one of those eye opening things that I had recently. Um, but, you know, don't get me wrong. I would love to be the guy going out and helping out all those events as well. Cause I mean, I, it's a crazy world out there. I only hope that I can, you know, I, I want, I want to look out for, you know, the safety of those around me, but I got to look out for, you know, the well-being of me and then whoever I'm out there on the streets with and, you know, see, see how that goes. But like I said, you know, I'm not, I haven't quite done it yet, but I'm every day I wake up and I'm absolutely looking forward to getting out there and going a hundred miles per hour. 
Yeah, and that's uh, that's great. And I'm happy to hear that you're going to be out there, you know, over helping us all out and overlooking us. Um, but I do, I do want to get into your the time you were in Arizona, you know, getting ready uh, for like intelligence training, going through all that, and then I do want to transition into your time in Korea and Afghanistan too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, Arizona, it was, you know, it was, it was pretty fun. It was, it was like a, it was, it was more of like a professional class. Um, a lot of the people in the army and military in general, they go through their individual training programs and it's a lot of, uh, you know, combat related skills personally with me. Um, you know, I fought behind a computer desk. Uh, that was 99% of my job. I mean, I was lucky, you know, maybe to take one or two helicopter trips out when I was in Afghanistan, but you know, most of my job was behind a desk and that's how I really saw things, uh, you know, and affected things. Um, so that's what our training was. And then, uh, you know, it's interesting because when you're in these training situations, they teach you, you know, pretty much the books, they teach you what you need to know to, you know, get through, pass all the tests, get your basic knowledge. And then they say, all right, see ya. Here's your first duty station. And, you know, you think that you might know a few things and then you get to your first duty station and uh, you get there and they're like, all right, now let me teach you what we really do. And uh, yeah, my first duty station was Korea. And I, you know, I first started Korea and I was really excited because, I, you know, I've always thought Asian culture was pretty cool. Um, you know, I didn't know much about it, but I wanted to really learn more. And, I, you know, I got stationed in Korea in a place called Daegu, uh, which is about... Uh, four-hour car drive south of Seoul. Um, so I was just about, you know, half hour to an hour north of the very south end of the country by the beach and everything. Um, so I was in a pretty cool place. I think it might have been like the fashion and nightclub capital of the country too. So that was pretty fun on the weekend. Uh, but, you know, I got in there and the team that I, wor- I, the team that I worked with was really interesting. Um, the base as a whole, it wasn't, you know, a very combat forward base. We were pretty far south. And, you know, even even though the whole, you know, Korean armistice and everything that's, you know, signed years and years and years ago, uh, the whole concept of, you know, Americans still being in Korea, along with so many other countries. I mean, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but on the base alone that I was on every single day, I'd be saying hi to, you know, Australian, New Zealand, Israeli, you know, French, everybody. Um, you know, they're all walking around the base with me. And it, it was a very, you know, joint effort base. And, and let alone the, you know, the South Korean National Army, you know, they're, you know, they're there as well. And it's just something, it's a very, you know, joint effort uh, in that sense. But where I personally worked, uh, I worked with a very, very small team, um, probably I want to say five people, maybe four or five people, including all enlisted officers, everything. Um, we worked in, you know, in a little room in the middle of nowhere, just kind of doing our own intel thing. Um, and it was really cool just to be able to do that and just, it was a lot of uh, research driven operations and I really liked it because I was never really a good student in school. Um, you know, I went to school, I went to college, but I wasn't a straight A student. Uh, but you know, I didn't really find my passion, but with these, you know, with certain things here, I was able to go and just research different topics for, you know, for hours and days and then present my findings, stand up in front of a room full of 50, 60, hundred people and just talk to them and, you know, kind of educate these people. And that's what really, you know, that's what I really like. Um, and that gave me a lot of opportunity in Korea. Uh, I've always been a pretty self-confident person, but that really helped as well with my presentation skills and you know, overall life skills, interpersonal skills, uh, meeting people. 
Um, it was great. I mean, and even the people I know you mentioned, you know, we have a mutual friend, John, and you know, he's one of the greatest guys I know. He was the first person I met when I got there. I walked into this building and I see this, you know, I see this dude around my age. He shakes my hand. He's like, Hey, I'm John. Uh, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. I'll show you around. He showed me around. And then the first, and then as soon as the day ended, I think it was a Friday or a Thursday or something. My first day, he's like, all right, um, be ready at like six o'clock. We're going out. I said, great. And we went out to the local downtown area and, you know, he showed me around, showed me all the different like restaurants, bars and everything. And this was, this was an absolute sensory overload to me because I felt like I was in the middle of like hangover part two in the middle of Thailand. <laughs> like it was, it, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen or been to any Asian countries, but it is absolutely an, an insane sensory overload. You're walking on the sidewalks. There's people on motorcycles and scooters, like zipping past you. You're trying not to get run over. You know, there's people partying in the streets and it's not just like that during, like in Chicago, we would call that the Cubs parade there. It's called a Tuesday night. I mean, it's insane. And it was fun. It was amazing. I remember, you know, the first night in Korea, I sat down next to John and, you know, we're in the middle of Korea. We've never met each other before in our lives. I think, you know, at the time I was 25 or 24, he was 23 or 24. And we're just talking and he's like, where are you from? And I told him where I'm from. He's like, oh, I'm kind of from that area too, whatever. And we kind of figured out that we were actually, you know, we went to high school only probably like six or seven miles apart, which is pretty crazy because, you know, we're in the middle of Korea and look, we're back together and we never even knew each other. And then of course, crazy as it is, somehow, you know, a couple of drinks later, two, three in the morning later, he's sitting there and he's like, yeah, I dated this girl way, way back in the day. And, you know, the story still sticks with me. He says he did this girl way back in the day and he's talking about her and he pulls out a picture of her. And I'm like, that's really weird because your ex-girlfriend is hugging my cousin. And I guess they were like best friends. So it's just uh, one of those weird things where you don't know who you know in the world and who knows each other. And, and look, we linked up again in Korea. And then, you know, till this day, me and John are still very good friends. Dude, I'm just sitting here cracking up right now, just thinking of you and John just walking down the street in uh, Korea and John just, you know, just John being John. You know, John, I know John. I, I wish like the listeners I, yeah. can picture <laughs> John the way we are picturing him right now. And it's just cracking me up. I, but, yeah, I, just I, cause I, him I trouble. Even, and then I yeah. just like, yeah, two in the morning. And then him finding just his expression of him finding out that his ex-girlfriend is your cousin was probably hilarious. I wish there was a video of that. Uh, I God, I wish there was too. And I, you know, if anyone listens to this and tries to think like, all right, they're talking about this guy John, and they're walking in the middle of the streets of Korea, you know, it's it's hard to describe. You know, he's like, you know, I meet this guy. He seems to be, you know, when you first meet him, when I first met him, he was like real quiet, very professional, very like, you know, just very, very, you know, not a really over the top talking guy, just really chill. And then after two games of darts, he's running the whole bar. I mean, this guy, everyone, you know, trash like, to everyone in the bar. Oh my God. Best shit. One of the best shit talkers I've met. Like, uh, I wouldn't go that far. He's going to listen to this. I don't want uh, but yeah, you know, I know what you're talking about. Cause there's a local bar around uh, where we're from too. We go to sometimes and uh, yeah, he does the same stuff over there. Yep. 
I mean, it, hey, he's he's one of those guys where it's uh, everyone knows your name and you love him, or uh, if you don't like him, you you might have uh, if he doesn't like you, you, might have some words outside the bar. But yeah. either way, it always turned out to be a great night. I'll tell you, he's your best friend or your enemy. There's no in between. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that I'm on the best friend end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but that's awesome. So how long were you in Korea for then? Um, so the Korea was one full year. Um, and then, you know, towards the end, it was a really interesting time because towards the end, um, there were a bunch of different um, opportunities, I guess, that popped up for me. Um, there was uh, one of the people there. Uh, one of my colonels actually came up to me and he said he wanted me to do this. Uh, it was kind of like a briefing competition, I guess. Um, it was really weird. You kind of, they gave you a topic, uh, you researched it, and then you had about a week to research the topic, make a presentation, practice the presentation, uh, and then go to Seoul to the, you know, the 8th Army headquarters for intelligence and get in front of a room of, you know, 50, 60 people that pretty much I've never seen anyone that high ranking in my life. It looked like the situation room at the Pentagon and you get in front and you talk about what you, you know, you try to, you try to educate these, some of the smartest people, some of the smartest minds, probably you're sitting there trying to teach them something new or at least confirm something they already knew. And, you know, I got up there and I want to say three or four other people who all outranked me at the time got up there and gave their presentation. And then at the end, they kind of graded you and judged you and, for some for some reason, I actually ended up taking home first place, and that was probably one of the coolest moments I had in the army. Dude, congratulations! That's uh, that's great to hear. Thank you. Wait, so this these presentations, yeah. you're briefing them on the situation that's going on right now in Korea, or is it like a plan of action? Um, it was kind of like I guess kind of both. Um, it was very specific topic. I mean, it was you know it was just different um different ideas and concepts, and you know you just had to kind of figure out what you were going to try to tell these people, but it's really weird. It's kind of like, um, you know, to put it on a real basic scale, it's kind of like you going into, you know, a kindergarten classroom as a 30 year old adult and trying to teach a kindergarten teacher the alphabet. So you're sitting there and this person is clearly a subject matter expert at what you're trying to tell them. And you're trying to wow them. You're trying to wow someone on something that obviously they know a lot about. And I, you know, I remember, you know, it was one of the greatest things. Um, at the end of my brief, I opened up the floor for questions, and one of a very a very high ranking individual actually popped up, and she asked me a question, and I could tell she was trying to stump me. And I was very lucky that the people I practiced with grilled me every single day with all these questions, and I ended up having a really good answer. And I just remember her kind of smiling, sitting down, and everyone else in the room kind of laughed like, "Holy crap, he actually uh, answered your question!" And you know, it's it was experiences like that that give me this, you know, sense of, you know, self-confidence and ability to just go out there and do anything today because, you know, I, I would, I would like to think that I'm ready for most things the world throws at me. But I remember, especially back then, I was, I was like, Oh God, what's she going to ask? And then she jumped up and I, I got it right, I guess. <laughs> Are you able to share what she asked or is it confidential? Uh, probably not if I want to keep my job. <laughs> okay. Then let's, uh, let's not do that. But, no, no, it's okay. I mean, it was pretty much, I mean, it was specifically, I can't really speak of it. Um, it pretty much had to do with um, capabilities of armies. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So, you know, it, but it's interesting, you know, like I said, when, when you're, when you're talking about different, you know, capabilities or things and 
the person you're talking to is like absolutely the world's expert. Yeah, they know like, everything. Yeah. And they ask yeah. you a question like, and they're trying to grill you and you come back right at them. And that's, uh, that's awesome. That's a great feeling. And then, yeah. And, and then you see the look on your face and you're like, Oh God, did I just piss them off or something? And, uh, no, but it was, it was a really cool, it was a really cool experience. Um, and it's definitely something I think back on. Yeah. So then after Korea, did you go straight to Afghanistan? Did you come home for a little bit and then go to Afghanistan? Yeah. So as soon as I, you know, I got back from Korea and then I, luckily I was, at, I built up a ton of leave time when I was there. So I actually took an entire 30 days off. Um, I went home, was able to, um, you know, just kind of relax a little bit. Um, it was really interesting coming home at that time because, you know, you think that when you're, when you're overseas, it's, you know, it's not the job itself. And it, it kind of parallels to Afghanistan too. Korea obviously was, was much more relaxed and much easier than Afghanistan because in Korea we had, you know, we only worked five or six days a week. You know, we had a solid day or two off and, you know, we were able to go out and grab a beer after work and relax and have, you know, some dinner with our friends. Um, but the one thing that was similar to that to Afghanistan was, you know, even though you're still, you know, you have the luxury of going out to lunch and grabbing a Starbucks or something, you're still, you know, thousands of miles away from your best friends and family. And that's, and that's what really sucks. That's what no one really tells you. I mean, you, you look on TV and you see all these commercials of these soldiers coming home, or you see, you know, the YouTube videos of the Facebook videos, but that's, that's the thing that no one really tells you. That's, that's what was hardest for me. I was never, you know, Afghanistan, Korea, all that. I was never scared of anything. It was just the whole concept of, you know, it sucks being far away. Um, things happen when you're far away. I remember when I was in Korea, um, I, I got a call. You know, I got a call from uh, my dad, and I think it was like three days before I was supposed to come home. And he called me, and when I was in Korea, you know, when you're overseas, you kind of have like these like prearranged times. You're going to talk to people where you both know you're going to be awake with the time difference. But he called me at a weird time, and my first thought was, fuck, who's sick, you know? And, you know, you know something's wrong when someone calls you at a really weird hour of the day. And he kind of told me, he's like, hey, you know, your mom's not doing so well, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, great. That's, that's, just, that's just what I want to hear before I come home from this year away. And all I want to do is come home and party and relax. And you get that news. Uh, you know, so I got home, uh, dealt with that. It was, you know, it was pretty not such a fun time at all. Um, I'm very happy to say, you know, luckily she's fine. She's all good now. She had a really good speedy recovery. Everything's good. Um, but it's just one of those things where, you know, I was very fortunate that I was able to go home at that time because, you know, if I was in Afghanistan or something that happened, there's no way I could have come home. Um, and, you know, Afghanistan, I'll tell you after, Afghanistan was a whole other ride. I had some crazy stuff happen there. But luckily, you know, um, I had 30 days off and it was really, you know, I was really lucky and really happy that I was able to use those 30 days to actually just be with my family um, and, you know, maybe just relax a little bit. But, you know, the, the world looked out for me. They kind of, the world lined up the timing for me really nicely on that. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was the end of that. But uh, after my 30 days off, I went to uh, Fort Carson in Colorado. I was really excited that I got that base because I was, uh, I'm an avid snowboarder. I love rock climbing. I love all the outdoorsy stuff. And I was really excited. I uh, I got my went to Colorado, met a, real, a couple of really good friends. Um, actually, talked to a couple of them this morning. Um, you know, people I still stay in contact with. And I made a couple of good friends. Went to Colorado and started snowboarding every weekend. It was awesome. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of January, they say, "Hey, um, 
get ready, pack your shit. Uh, we're going to Afghanistan. I said, fantastic. Um, so just, you know, before we jump into, in my... yeah, before we jump into Afghanistan, oh, no I just, uh, well, you said like, you know, you are really far away from home. It's not like, even though you are at a Starbucks in Korea, it's not like you're a Starbucks back home. You know, you don't know anyone or, you know, very few people. And I just want to say it was probably very fortunate that you did have someone like John there, but how did the locals in Korea perceive Americans and, um, you know, American military personnel? Yeah, no, it's really good. I was, that's a really good uh, point. You know, it's really interesting over there because it's very age, age demographic based. Um, there's a lot of people there who were in their, like, you know, I would say mid twenties and the people in their mid twenties generally, you know, I don't want to say didn't like us there, but maybe just didn't understand why we were there. And because some of them didn't understand, um, there were, you know, I ran into a couple protests while I was there. Um, whenever we would do our military exercises, they would, you know, protest outside the gate and things like that. Um, but you know, you run into the people that are in their, you know, um, sixties, seventies, eighties. And, you know, and I only say, you know, it's funny in the U S you know, when, when, when we have people get old in the U S when they get into their seventies and eighties, they're not really active. They're not really out and about, but Korea, these, you know, the old people in Korea are the healthiest old people I've seen. They're in the park running around doing exercise and they're like 90 years old. So you have all these older people there that still are there and healthy and their mind is very clear. And they remember the time that the Korean war happened and they remember why the U S soldiers are there in the first place. And, you know, they actually, I had the greatest experience with the elders, uh, the elder, you know, Koreans there, cause they actually understood why we were there. And, you know, it goes back to, uh, you know, a society thing. And, you know, one of the problems, one of the personal problems I see with, you know, some of the people uh, that were overseas with me there is, you know, they just didn't have the basic level of cultural respect. Um, they went there and, you know, some people I was with, they didn't even attempt to learn the language. They didn't even attempt to learn the basics of hello, goodbye, how are you, thank you, please, really basic words. They, you know, it's 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 a pretty much of a fact that anywhere you go in Korea, that's a large city, the more the majority of people speak English, and a lot of them speak English better than most Americans speak English. They're very educated people, but you know, just because they speak English doesn't mean that they should have to. We're you know we're in their country. We should respect their cultural norms and go over there and you know try to learn their language. And that's you know that's the difference of the people who either respected or disrespected the Americans. Um, there, like, you know, someone like John, he went out and I remember the first day I went out with John, he, he said, all right, take out your phone. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a bunch of phrases to write down. And I started kind of learning the language. And I mean, I, I'm by no, you know, by no means am I fluent, but just, you know, being able to speak a little, you know, me and John, we went out and all the time with, we went out to restaurants and bars and areas that we were the only, we were the only Americans people in the entire area. I mean, people were like stopping and taking pictures with us. Like we were celebrities. Like they, it was, I mean, it's like, it was insane. It was like, you know, it's like if you were to see, yeah, I don't know, like Dennis Rodman walking down the streets of Chicago, he stands out like crazy. You would absolutely notice who he was and take a picture with him. Or if you were to see some big celebrity, I mean, that's the kind of areas that we hung out in um, and simply because, you know, we knew we were able to kind of speak a little bit of the language and talk to them and, you know, level with them. And, you know, that's what made my experience in Korea so cool is that I actually got the real experience of living in a different country and actually doing all their stuff. 
Um, but then on the unfortunate side of things, you know, sometimes you did run into those uh, people who had nothing but negative experiences with Americans because they ran into those Americans that didn't give a crap about their culture and they just wanted to go there and go out and drink and do nothing positive. And, but, you know, that's wherever you go. You have to kind of balance everything out and understand that not everyone's experiences with you is a positive experience and you have to try to make their impression of you a positive experience. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting to interact with all the different types of people there. Yeah. And that's great to hear that you guys like figured that out early on. And, you know, I feel like I would hope that most normal people would realize, yeah, like we can't come in to someone else's culture, their backyard and, you know, be disrespectful to them. You know, we got to appreciate it. Cause we would hate, we would hate that if that happened to us too, you know, like, huh. I mean, Oh my God. Right. In America. So, I mean, when you're in the U S Americans, they're just, if, if we see anyone who doesn't speak English, we look at them like, why don't you speak English? What, what's wrong with you? You know, like, we, why why don't you speak our language? And then you go over there, and you don't speak their language, and they actually look at you like, oh, you're trying. That's really nice that you're actually at least trying to speak our language. Um, we know that you're really bad at it, so we'll speak to you in English. But the yeah. fact that you at least try is really nice. Um, you know, it, it's a very different and their culture is very much based on, you know, respect and, you know, uh, like respect for elders, respect for society and stuff. Um, and that's what was really cool to like learn about their culture instead. Yeah. And you can't expect respect if you don't give respect. You got to be kind. You got to spread kindness, you know, love. And then that comes back to you. you yeah, know, if you're going to exactly. be rude and a dick, you're going to get the exact same response from someone else. But yeah, that's oh, I'm, I'm happy yeah. you had a great experience in Korea. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sorry I cut you off, but let's go back to – so you were in Colorado. You got the call. You're going to Afghanistan. How much time did they give you? Were you able to come home at least? Um, I, I didn't – I want to say – I think they kind of let me know. We got kind of a little bit of warning, like right after the whole Christmas leave time. Um, so at least I was home for like two weeks during Christmas and New Year's, I think, um, and that was good. Um, but then after that, it was kind of like, uh, all right, let's go. And then I think we had about, you know – a month and a half, two and a half months, probably. I can't, yeah, you know, I don't remember the specific timelines, but I think I left at like probably the end of February. And then uh, we got there and I had no idea what it was going to be like. I mean, I, everyone kind of like, everyone who's deployed before, they kind of told me a little bit about it. Um, but they deployed, a lot of people that I talked to deployed to these like larger bases over there. Uh, you have places like, you know, Kandahar and Bagram. And like these places are like cities. They have, they have stores, they have like little shopping areas, they have mini restaurants, they have coffee places, they have everything. And, you know, where I went, it was literally a runway surrounded by a wall in the middle of a desert. And there was just nothing in the middle of absolutely nowhere. So it was very, very different from what they were talking about. Um, but yeah, we got there and pretty much as soon as we got there, we jumped right in. We switched with the people that were there already. They kind of gave us a three, four, five day rundown of what was going on. And then we were at it. We were going full speed um, every single day for the next nine months. And, you know, like I said, my particular job there, um, it, you know, I was, my, my fighting was done from a computer. I was sitting at a computer screen for hours and hours a day. I remember, you know, within the first month I was there, I think I was awake for, I worked a 52 hour shift. I, you know, there was no stopping because I just couldn't leave my desk. I, there was stuff that had to be done. And in my head, I was after the first like 12, 13, 14 hours, I'm like, is someone going to come relieve me? And then pretty much I asked that question. And my answer was, yeah, good fucking luck. You know, 
I mean, it's you're there, you're there to do a job and that's it. That is your only reason you're there. You're not there to enjoy your time. You're there to do a job. And that's what was kind of, you know, that huge difference from being overseas in Korea and being overseas to Afghanistan. I mean, I, I, you know, I think probably the shortest shift I worked was probably like 14 hours and the longest shift over 52 hours. And I don't think I actually, I'm confident I didn't get a day off for the entire time there. And that was, that was, was kind of hard because, you know, sometimes you're there and you see different people because everyone on the base has a different job. You know, it's like a little community. Everyone does their thing. Everyone has their different job. I mean, some people that were there that were specifically there for administrative purposes, I mean, they worked like Monday through Friday. And I mean, that's cool for them. And they got like a day off and then I would be leaving work and they'd be like playing, you know, volleyball with like two sticks and a little net because we had like a tiny mini volleyball court there. And I'm just sitting there and all I want to do is go to sleep so I can sleep for three hours and get up and go back to work again. Um, So that was really weird. I mean, I worked 269 days straight and then there's some other people that didn't, but I knew that what I was doing was there and actually made a difference. And that's, that's, that's the hard part. That was, you know, that was the intense part. And, you know, like I said, you, you're far away. If something happens, you can't go home. I mean, I told, I told my mom, uh, you know, before I left, I said, you know, I, I'm going to be really far away and I can't come home. So if anything, you know, really shitty happens, you know, I said, just don't tell me. And that was one of the hardest things was, you know, eventually, you know, probably I forgot like my fifth or sixth or seventh, seventh month there or something. Um, I, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to call home every once in a while because uh, I was on night shift. So the, you know, the time zones were opposite. So I was able to call while they were still awake when I was on night. And I remember calling my mom one day and like, I just heard it in her voice. I was, I was like, what, what happened? And then she just broke down. She said, the dog died. I said, great. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you don't, you don't ever want to hear that your dog dies because, you know, you love them and they're adorable and they're amazing. And then you hear your dog dies, but the fact that you can't go back and, you know, go in, nothing you can do once they're dead, but the fact you can't go back and just be with your family, that's what's really terrible. And then it didn't help that, of course, the night before I watched the movie Marley and Me and no one told me that was a, right. No one, I thought it was a cute movie. No one told me it was like the saddest movie in the world. Like, God, so I'm sitting there, I watched Marley and Me that happens and then the next day i get it it was like a it was a shit show week uh the next day i got a text from uh, one of my best friends who you know in regard to another really good friend that i have saying that um her dad was was really sick and it was a very sudden thing he went in i i don't yeah i don't remember exactly what happened but he went in for this really routine surgery or something and something happened during the surgery and he got sick and i think he lived only like two more days and you know that, you know, it was just one of those things where you hear about something and all you want to do is forget everything you're doing. You want to fly home and you want to give your best friend a hug because there's nothing else that you can do. And yeah, I remember calling my friend and I called her and I, I said, I, I said, I don't know what to say. And I said, I, I know there's nothing I can say right now to make this better. I just want to let you know that I wish I was there for you. And that, you know, she understood and she was very nice and understanding, but I actually got a, a lot of calls from other friends that didn't even have to, you know, not her, not her family, just a lot of other friends making sure that I was okay because they knew, you know, how much I loved her and my best friend and that I wanted to be there for her. They wanted to make sure that I was okay with it. And, you know, I was okay because I had to be okay. There was no other option. You know, you just kind of, 
it's one of those things that deals with, you know, personal resiliency and being able to kind of deal with anything that's thrown your way. And, you know, it's, and that, and that's, it goes, that's the, like I said, that's the reason Afghanistan sucks. I never, never once was I afraid of, you know, getting shot, blown up, whatever, anything like that. I mean, I was afraid of the hell of the spiders and the snakes there. They were absolutely terrifying, but no, I can't no, even no, imagine. No Those per- are my biggest fears. Oh, dude, I, there's been multiple times where I've ran out of a porta potty with the pants around my ankles because a fucking pit viper popped up out of the middle of nowhere. Oh, dude, I can't <laughs> even imagine. <that. laughs> it was terrible. I mean, those 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 were my fears in Afghanistan: spiders, snakes, and missing my family. Those were the only three things that bothered me about the entire nine months. Um, but besides that, it was a great time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. but uh, so I do. Uh, what were you doing? Um, like, what were your you know responsibilities that you were always so busy. Yeah. So pretty much, you know, like I said, I was an all source intelligence analyst, um, which pretty much means everything that has to do with information. Um, and, you know, I worked on a team, I worked with a team uh, of about, I would say seven or eight other analysts. And with that team, our job was to kind of go and talk to different people. You know, we talked to the people that talked to people to get information. We talked to people that, flew the planes to get information. We talked to the people that uh, would have these meetings to get information. Um, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like being on the outside looking in on, on like the TV show Homeland or something. You know, you're the person sitting there reading the reports, figuring out what the reports mean, all that stuff. And uh, it was a very behind the scenes thing. But at the same time, you know, just like I did in Korea, it was my job to get up there and collect all the information and then go and stand up every morning at eight in the morning and stand in front of the commander and be like, Hey, sir, this is what's going on with the country today. Uh, and then we would inform him of what's going on. And then he would inform his guys of decisions to make. And then we would figure out what would happen after plans were executed. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like a never ending cycle of you tell them what's going on. They do something. You figure out what happened next. And then you tell them what happened and they do something. And then it kind of keeps going and going. And it just kind of never stops. And that's what was weird about it. It kind of felt like Groundhog Day. You know, you lose track of time because there's just the only, I mean, the only way you know if something's going to happen is if you have an event or a mission or something planned for a certain time. And that's, that's it. That's the only way you really know that things are going to happen. And it was just, uh, I mean, it, it was nothing, you know, it was nothing like the movies or anything where, you know, you're like going in, jumping out of a plane and like doing all this stuff. I mean, some, absolutely. Some guys are doing that, but that just wasn't my particular job. Um, but still you get, you get this weird sense of emotional attachment to what's going on. Uh, and then because you know, you get this attachment, you know, you're, you know, you're emotionally affected by everything that happens and everything you see and experience. And, you know, of course there's a lot of like destruction and death and all that. Um, and it's, you know, it's hard to look at and hard to cope with, but, you know, luckily I was able to, I, you know, I didn't have a crazy hard time with it because, you know, I saw it as, okay, you know, this is a job to do and, you know, I'm here to do this job and hopefully, you know, I don't know how it's going to help people right now, but hopefully, you know, someday down the line, it's going to help people, um, you know, and like the first, you know, obviously everyone that's never really seen, if you've never seen someone, something gruesome before, except for on TV, and then you see something weird and gruesome in real life, it, it affects you. I remember there was a really smart, uh, really, really intelligent captain came up to me after seeing, you know, for lack of better words, someone blow up for the first time. And, you know, I kind of looked at it and I was kind of frozen. I'm like thinking, well, that was fucked up, uh, but okay. 
And he kind of came up to me and he was really smart. And he, he looked at me and he's like, Hey man, you're from Chicago, right? I said, yeah. He's like, that that dude could have been the next guy into this year's tower. You never know. You, you might have just saved something, or you know. And and that was just one of the greatest things he told me. He he pretty much put in my mind that okay, you know, while while I'm seeing these crazy things, while I'm here, you know, observing all this, you know, death and destruction, it's for it's for a reason. Um, and it's it's one of those things that you know not a lot of people can understand, and they never tell they never tell you about that. And I mean, I know some guys very personally. Um, some of my best friends who have, who do have, you know, PTSD or drug and alcohol abuse issues because of everything that they've seen and encountered. I'm very lucky and very fortunate that I had such a good um, system of my family and friends who every single day, you know, even if I had crappy service and our crappy internet connection, I couldn't get back to them. They would still text me or call me every day just to say, Hey, what's going on? How are you, man? Like, you know, and that's what's really important because without that, I probably would have been affected by these things a lot more. But because I had these great friends and family back home and, you know, even people there to talk to, uh, you know, some, you know, there's hits a certain point where you go in as a group of seven people and you all get along. But you're, you're with the same seven people for 20 hours a day for five, six, seven months straight. You eventually get on, you know, you get on each other's nerves and, you know, you end up clashing heads a lot. But you know, even though you clash heads, you're still there together. And, you know, I definitely had a good support team there um, just to kind of talk to and you know, everything kind of, everything kind of worked out. It was, it was a crazy experience. Um, I, I would, I would never do it again. I mean, you could pay me all the money in the world and I would probably never do it again. In fact, I did turn down a job to go back and do it for a lot of money. And my friends told me I was crazy for turning down such a large amount of money to go back. And I said, yeah, but it's not worth it. Um, but some people love it. Me, I just, you know, I did it. I'm very happy I did it. I learned a lot. I, I, you know, I had a lot of good experiences. I had a lot of humbling experiences. Um, but I think that at the end, I'm just, I'm glad it's over. I'm glad I can move on to the next chapter. And I'm just, any friendships or, friend, or you know, relationships that I made there are, you know, just change you and they're, they're strengthening because I have some lifelong friends after going through something crazy like that. Yeah, that I mean, I can't even imagine that. And I mean, thank you so much for what you've done. That's a huge sacrifice, and I mean that it's a risk for yourself too. I mean, I know you said you weren't worried about you know getting shot at or bombed or anything, but it's it takes a whole a toll on your on your mental um, aspect, you know, just your thoughts and just seeing these things and just nonstop working and working and then you know just violence and destruction and you know to come out of it with you know, uh, the mindset that you currently do have and, you know, positive attitude and open, open mind still is unbelievable, man. It's, and yeah, and it does, some of that is definitely on the support system, which is so important. And, um, it sounds like, you, you know, you're very lucky as I am myself as well with a great support system, but also, man, just like, you know, just realizing and opening your mind being like, yeah, I gotta do this because if this isn't done this way, then there's worse things that can happen. So yeah, I can't even. Uh... And that's no, that's and that's exactly right. I mean, your thoughts mirror mind, and that's exactly what it's all about. It's you know, and and that's and it parallels to everything in life. Something sometimes there's things that you got to do that you don't want to, but it's just life. And you know, sometimes some of the some of our worst and darkest times make us into the better and strong people that we are. I mean, it, it's just every little thing that I've learned in life um, from my time, you know, 
in culinary school or my time in, you know, being an EMT or volunteer firefighter or the army or now training to be a cop. I mean, all these little things, it's just these great little tools to have. And then you never know when you're going to have to reach back and find that skill or that, or that reasoning to, to help out in such a situation or, you know, de-escalate a hot situation or, you know, somehow do something. And that's why I'm glad that I did all these crazy experiences. Cause I mean, my, you know, one of my friends told me that she has to take me to trivia night cause I'm just full of all this random shit and knowledge. And yeah, I don't, I don't look at myself as like this huge, like Yale scholar or anything, but my random knowledge is definitely up there. The best way to learn is through experiences. And that goes, what you said earlier, you're like, yeah, in Arizona, they taught us, they gave us all this information, but really once you got to Korea, that's when they sat you down. They're like, all right, this is how we really do it. And I feel like that's with exactly anything, not just like military, it's with your jobs too, you know? And it's the same way with yeah. going to college for four, six, eight years, you go to a job and you're like, damn, well, I guess a lot of the stuff I just learned, I don't really need. And it's not really done this way. And you got to almost relearn it. And, uh, experience exactly. is the only way to learn. That's, that's it. You know, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I have a friend, you know, I have a very good friend who he just started his, um, his clinical rotations for his residency. And, you know, he's going to be a doctor, which, you know, still still scares the crap out of me that I'm finally at the age where, um, you know, people that I know are becoming like doctors and lawyers. And, uh, you know, I have a running joke with my friend. I said, dude, it scares the crap out of me that someone actually I said, you know, what's scarier? The fact that, you know, you can go, uh, you know, cut people open and do surgery or the fact that CPD is going to give you a gun. He's like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, both both not ideal situations. Not kidding. Yeah. But luckily, we're both we're both trained and responsible in our individual uh, yeah. instruments. I we'll mean, say. it definitely <laughs> sounds like you are more than uh, qualified for the position, and yeah. So yeah, <laughs> no, but yeah, it's you know, and it's funny, you know, and no, like you were saying, that I talked to him and I said, you know, he he's doing his his residency right now, and he's specializing in urology, for example, and he's doing all this other stuff in every other part of the hospital. And, you know, he's training up in areas that he's never really been trained up in before. And he went to med school in like for like eight years. And it's just one of those things that life, life experience is really what makes you learn, you know? Yeah. You got to go through it. And that's, that's the only way it's, they can, you can read all the books you want to read. You can uh, follow all the people you want to follow, listen to all the people you want to listen, but until you start taking action and doing there's, you know, that's when you learn the most. And then you can apply things that you learn along the way. Like I'm sure the stuff you learned dur- your, during your times, you know, your experience in the EMT as a volunteer firefighter, your times in the army, um, you know, when you're out in the streets in Chicago, that's all going to come together and help you out and, you know, help out other people and just hopefully make the other officers jobs easier as well when they're working with you. Just, just cause you have this plethora of knowledge and information and experiences. No, I, I, I only hope I can do that. Yeah. I only hope that I can help other people out and, you know, sh- shed a little knowledge on them and hopefully gain as much knowledge as I can in the process. Yeah. So uh, let's, so right now you're in the Chicago Police Department Academy. You're two months in, correct? You said you have four months left? Yep. So what, what does that look like? Like, do you go to class during the day? Is there like, are you guys doing like physical training? Are you guys riding along? Yeah. Like, what, what do you do? Yeah. Oh, it's, you know, it's pretty interesting. You know, it's pretty much like college. It's like law school. It's like law school on steroids. Um, you know, we get, 
we get there every day. Um, I probably I'm out I'm out of my apartment every day by four thirty in the morning at the absolute latest because otherwise I'm sitting there trying to find parking for an hour. Um, but you know you wake up every day nice and early. You get there. Um, I would say probably two days out of the week we do an early morning run just to get things started, uh, run around, do a little workout, uh, and then probably uh, two two days out of the week we do different types of physical training um, as far as you know tactical skills and stuff um you know different like control tactics and things like that um but 90 percent of it is all just you know basic knowledge and basic law classes i mean my law book is you know four inches thick and i you know i I look through it and i try to learn different things every day i mean as an as interesting as it is you know and i never thought i'd be going to law school to become a lawyer but as i as i get further into this training process if you want to be a cop you better know the law better than any lawyer there is out there because it's one of the, it's a world out there now where you know it's a very skewed uh opinion of the police and which is you know ironic we were talking about you know in korea there's two different opinions of the american soldiers of your experiences with them and how you were raised or what you know of and there's two very different opinions of the police it's you know what you know about the police about what your parents told you what you know about the police of your personal experiences with the police um or what the media tells you about police and you know i've been exposed to all different types of experiences with the police i've had really good encounters i mean when i was young uh, i think my apartment got broken into two times when I was young and the police were there and they helped us out. And I've also been pulled over before, just like everybody. And I've had that pain in the ass cop who just wants to show that they're cool. And, you know, they want their little power trip. And it, and even throughout all my positive and negative experiences with the police, I still, you know, I don't want to go and do it. And I want to show people that there can be really positive experiences with the police. And as I sit through all the training every day, all the law classes, all the everything, you know, you learn, uh, you know, you, you talk a lot about a lot of different topics and ethics and uh, different things like that, community interaction. And you have to really, you know, learn how to be positive with the community. Josh, you were so kind with your time. I appreciate this so much. Uh, this has been an awesome episode. And thank you for inviting us into your life, you know, giving us the rundown of just what your life's been like the last, what, five, six years, right? Something like that. Yeah. And then what you're looking forward to do. So in Chicago Police Department, what what do you want to be? You want to be like an officer like on the ground or what are the opportunities that are available to you for that? I mean, there's there's so many different things. And that's what I keep learning every day is there's, you know, you could do any section you want. You can do, you know, you could be a canine cop. You can do, you can be a bike cop if you really want. I mean, that sounds super fun in the summer. You could be a boat cop. You could be... You know, you could be a helicopter guy. You could be a drug guy. You could be a, you know, a internet crimes guy. You could do special victims. You could do anything you want. Um, and it all is dependent on your personal level of motivation and your personal level of drive to get there. Um, but I mean, as soon as any opportunity opens for me, I'm going in and I'm applying for it because, I mean, that's why I want to do Chicago police so bad is they have all these incredible opportunities. I mean, there, there's no, in my opinion, there's no reason to join something so great with so many opportunities and just sit and be comfortable. I mean, once you become comfortable, you become complacent. And that's something I really want to try to avoid. I want to keep going and doing new things and getting up there and just trying to get my hand in as many things as I can. Yeah. And that's, 
complete you can't be complacent you need to keep going you need to keep on doing things you need to strive for goals um have you heard of jamal cole he's uh the founder of my block my hood my city yeah, I heard a little bit about it. I'm not crazy. Uh, I'm not um, super knowledgeable of it, but I've definitely heard a little bit. Uh, super good guy. He's trying to, you know, help out the community in Chicago on the south and west sides. Um, anyone that's listening to this, I definitely recommend, you know, check him out. Um, on his page right now, so he's at for my block shy on Twitter. I follow him on Twitter. I'm sure he's on Facebook and Instagram too, but super good guy. And what he says is, if you can make it in Chicago, you can make it anywhere in this world. He said that to a graduating class recently, a couple months ago. And I kind of uh, see that in you right now. You're like, you're doing Chicago Police Department. You want your interest in all these things. And it's going to be tough. But, dude, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. I mean, and he said that, and he's right. I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely one of the, it's one of the toughest cities in the world. Not even... Not even, you know, on the level of, you know, toughness of, you know, being physically tough or anything like that, you know, or because we have, you know, good or bad or in neighborhoods. I think it's just tough because, you know, we're such a metropolitan capital of the world, even in the corporate world in Chicago. It's one of the toughest worlds to get into. And I mean, I have friends who are being lawyers and stuff here and they say it's just cutthroat as all hell. And I think that's awesome. I think that, you know something having a competitive edge in life is something that really defines you as a person. It really builds your, you know, your moral character and things like that. And, you know, having competitiveness, but also having compassion is really, you know, I think that's what I would like to round me in the future. Yeah. And I think you are, you are there. <laughs> um, so I, Josh, I appreciate it. Yeah. No, thank you so much for your time. I'm really looking forward to, you know, following along on your journey, seeing how you do everything. And, uh, we want, we have to meet up soon for a beer and talk some more and, you know, for sure, man, and maybe even I'll, I'll do this you, in person. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'd, I'd like to, I'll meet you in a few months. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how my experiences have been for sure. Yeah. That, I think that's a great story. And, um, dude, thank you so much. I'm, uh, I'm, I appreciate your support group. Also, you like your, your parents, your friends that were always out there texting you, giving, calling you, you know, keeping your spirits high. I think that's really important too. So shout out to them as well. And, you know, absolutely shout out to John for connecting us, bringing us together. And, absolutely. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure he's enjoying a nice bottle of whiskey somewhere. <laughs> he's on his second <laughs> one already. Yeah. What is it? Two o'clock. He should be three in. Yeah. Three in and just warming up. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, you're saying you're so right, but he's, he's probably already, he's probably already kicking the girls out of his bed. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. If his parents listen to this, I'm, they're gonna be. They're not, we'll see. Whatever. Oh yeah, we're, we're, we're gonna be in trouble. Yeah, we're gonna be in a little <laughs> trouble. Thank you so much. Myself, we can right, absolutely, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. People talking, nobody make it up. Take it to Chicago, they gon' pull your G cup. I bet you're not the keeping that you say you want. <laughs> Run it on the highway. I need a red carpet on my driveway. I'm a monster, heard it midway. Put your way, I do this shit my way. I need all your energy, I need you to believe. All my body and soul. I need all your energy, I need you to believe. All my body and soul. I need all your energy, I need you to believe. Yo, Medulla, I've been got it. Baby, fear the bounce, I got it from my mama. Uh. Fear the bounce, I got it from my mama. Uh. Someone
Bless me, I got the holy water. Feeling through your body, your medulla, I've been got it. Baby, feel the bounce, I got it from my mama. Uh, got it from my mama. Uh, yeah. Got it from my mama. Uh, yeah. Love so big that they call me Big Pop. Outbreak kid, yeah, they call me Showstop. Big so big that my bitch got a problem. White skinny kid, but they call me Don Don. This all me, I ain't get it from my father. If you thirsty, I got the holy water. Tell the streets, call the priest, tell your friends, tell your mama. I got a holy water, hey, jig it to the beat Like an info do it in the sheets I can do this all week, love it so much I do it for the free When my heart feel the beat, it's like a new pair of It's just dropped in the streets Honey on the highway, I need a red carpet On my driveway, I'm a monster Heard it midway, for your way I do this shit my way I need all your energy, I need you to believe All my body and soul I need all your energy, I need you to believe All my body and soul The divine gift, 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 divine gift